You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Well, one to, just a couple things before we jump into our text. Um, I told you the elders have been praying for weeks, really, about reopening, when that's gonna happen. Uh, and, and, and before kind of announce our, announce our plans, let me just encourage you, just in our, our body, and ours is a challenging body because you're talking, you know, 1,400, 1,500 folks. Decisions are not easy to make because there's so many folks. And so uh, we've labored over this and prayed about this. But in that vast number of people, uh, there's gonna be positions all over the map, right? Some think that we should have opened 20 weeks ago. Some think we should not open for 20 weeks and there's everything in between. Uh, and so I would encourage just in the next couple of weeks as things move forward, just humility, if nothing else, and unity. Because the reason why the scripture has to tell us to be unified is because not because we always agree on everything, it's because we don't, and that's the point. And so whether you are comfortable with where we're going or not, that's okay. Um, we understand, we've prayed about this and labored about this and made decisions based the best we can. And so our plans as of now uh, for CBC is to have our first live gathering open to our body on June 14th. That would be three Sundays from today. Uh, it'll be modified, obviously. We'll have a lot of details coming in the next week or so. We're going to do three services uh, which we were planning on doing in the fall anyway, but we're gonna kind of jump the gun on that. So we're gonna have an eight o'clock for you early birds, a 9.30 and 11. Uh, and we're gonna try to split folks up in this room in the video venue uh, so that we can get some space. Uh, but also, uh, we're just excited to gather. And if you are not comfortable coming back that quickly, it's okay. We completely understand. We're gonna continue to live stream. Uh, we'll have this option out there as long as it is necessary because we understand that, that you might interact with uh, folks that would be susceptible on a daily basis or maybe you uh, just are not comfortable coming back and that, we are, we are glad to encourage you in this way. Um, but we're gonna do that and so more details to come. Uh, we have in, in re- recent weeks, uh, first couple of weeks, I don't know if you notice when I'm preaching, first couple of weeks I, I was not myself because I was preaching to three people in the room and that's just not, that's not me. I, I need more than three and I, uh, so we, in the last couple of weeks, have opened up the room to our elders and our deacons and our community group leaders, just key leaders in the church, not because they're better than anybody or worse than anybody, but these are key leaders who we're trying to lead through this, this time, uh, and they are critical for us getting information out, but also just critical to what we do here. And so if you hear a, a cackle from the back, it's probably Clint. He's the one that cackles out loud sometimes. But um, so just so you know, so if you see a hand go in front of the camera once in a while, it's not that you have been left out. We just have uh, only invited key leaders in the church at this point uh, just to bring into the room um, as we're kind of disseminating information to them. Uh, And so, but now you know what we all know, just pay attention to social media, your email this week as we'll kind of give details on what this looks like in the next weeks. Honestly, we're excited, y'all. We're excited to see you. Uh, We are excited to be back uh, and so we can't wait. And so um, just pray for the details as we kind of come forward. If you have questions, you can email us at the church. Um, we'd love to answer those as best as possible. So we are going to be in Genesis 43. I'm just looking forward to the fact that I'll be able to move more on the stage. I got little lines up here. I'm not allowed to go outside. So that's gonna be exciting for me. Just, I can move. But uh, we're gonna be in Genesis 43 and 44 today. We've been hearing a lot about this new normal right? That's kind of the new lingo, the new normal. And the implication there is that things have changed, right? Uh, What used to be normal is no longer normal. What used to be normal is if I wanted to buy some hamburger meat at the Publix, I could do it. I can't do it anymore. 
What used to be normal is that Charmin didn't cost more than diamonds. And I could actually find it. That's not normal. Used to be able to go to my favorite restaurant and eat inside rather than taking it home on styrofoam plates. Which it's just not the same, let's be honest. Used to be, masks were just, we never saw masks. I was out on the river last week kayaking and there was a lady in the middle of the river with a, with a mask on. I'm thinking, I don't think that's necessarily what you need, but that's okay. You wanna wear a mask, go ahead. But that's the new normal, Right? Things have changed. They're not the same. Uh, There's things that have changed for Joseph and his brothers as well. Joseph has gone from the pit to the penthouse. His brothers who said, we'll never bow down to you, have bowed down to him even though they don't know it. And, And what Joseph started about last week, we saw in chapter 42, is he's trying to see if there is a new normal in the lives and hearts of his brothers. And for us, we hear new normal, and most of us are like, oh, that's a negative thing. For Joseph, it's a positive thing, because his brothers have been rascals. And he's trying to assess, are these the same men who sold me into slavery 22 years ago? And so what we saw is he, he started a series of tests in chapter 42, where God is softening these men's hearts, and they're starting to own what they have done. And he's going to continue that today and give two more big tests as we look at chapter 43 and 44 to, to assess, are they different? Are they, is there a new normal in the lives of my brothers? And as followers of Jesus, it's the same new normal that God is desiring for us. The new normal in their lives is the one that he wants in our lives. And so what that is and what it looks like, we're gonna unpack as we, un, we kind of breeze through these two chapters. It's a lot of text, uh, but the story just goes together so we can't break it up. And I'm, gonna be, I'm just really gonna read most of it. I'll make some explanation. The story is so good, it doesn't need explanation for the most part. It's just, it is one of the greatest narratives in the Bible. It's one of my favorite uh, stories in all the scripture. Uh, and so what we saw leading up to this, if you kind of your first time, is Joseph, um, last week, he put his brothers through this test. He threw them in prison. He sent them back home. He kept Simeon, the brother, there and said, you cannot have your brother back unless you bring your youngest brother to, to back to Egypt so that I know that he's alive. And so they go back and tell their dad, dad, Simeon's down there. Uh, the, the man down there, he was mean to us. And he said, we can't have Simeon back unless we bring Benjamin. His dad says, no way, Benji's my favorite. Every time you guys leave, I come, you come back with one less son. It's not happening. But at the end of 42, their food is running out again. And so they have a choice to make. And so that's where we pick up in verse one. So let's read. Now, the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again and buy us a little food. And Judah says to his dad, "Uh, dad, you're forgetting. The man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. He says, dad, we can't go. There's no food, there's no option. Unless we bring Benjamin down, we cannot go down. And so Israel says, why do you treat me so badly? He's having a pity party. He's acting like a victim. You treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother. Why did you tell them you had a brother, he's saying. He said, the the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What what we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know? He would say, bring your brother down. Dad, he asked us questions, insightful, crazy, amazing questions about our family. Did you want us to lie? And Jacob would probably say, yeah, I've done it before, right? And so Judah said to Israel, send the boy with me. 
And we will rise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we hadn't delayed, we would, be, we would return by now twice. He said, Dad, I will, I will be responsible for Benjamin. We could have been back by now if you would just let him go. And so Jacob really understands, look, if we stay here, we die. If I send Benjamin, he may die, but we definitely die if we all stay here and do nothing. So I, I got no choice. And so their father, Israel, said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags, carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. And take also your brother and arise and go to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your brother, Benjamin, brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm brave, my children are bereaved. So fine, take double the money. You think he likes nuts? Take some nuts. Does he like lotion? Take some lotion, all right? Just be kind to the man, bring everybody back. And so the men took this present, took double the money with them and Benjamin. They rose and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. There he is. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house. Slaughter an animal, make ready for the men were to dine with me at noon. So basically, Joseph whispers something to his steward. They don't understand it. It's Egyptian. He doesn't speak to them. He speaks to his steward, gives his instructions, walks away. And then the man did as Joseph said. He brought the men to his house, and they're afraid because they, because they think, it's because of the money, which was replaced in our sacks. And, and what they're thinking is they're gonna kill us. They think we stole the money. What they're thinking is it's a trap. I just wanted to put that slide in again. I don't, that's what they're thinking. He's gonna kill us. It's a trap, right? That's what's going on. And they went up to the steward house, so they got ahead of it. They go up to his house and speak to him at the door of the house and said, my Lord, we came down first time to buy food. And when we came in the lodging place, we opened our sacks. There was each man's money in the mouth of the sack, our money full weight. So we brought it with us. We're honest men. We we didn't take the money. We don't know what happened, but here here it is. Here's the money back. We don't know who put it in our sacks. And he replies, peace to you. Don't be afraid. This is where it's probably blowing their mind. Your God and the God of your father put the treasure in your sex. I received your money. I, I checked the books, paid, paid, you're, you're good. And so he brings out Simeon. He's been like, where have y'all been? Been six months I've been sitting here in jail, right? Six months. And when the men had brought the men into Joseph's house and given the water and washed their feet, and when he had given their donkey's father, they prepared the present for Joseph coming at noon, for they heard they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down, there's the dream again. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he alive? And they said, your servant, our father is alive, is well, he's alive. And they bowed and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes, he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother? The one you spoke of? God be gracious to you, my son. And then he hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother. He sought a place to weep. He entered his chamber. He's just overwhelmed. He hasn't seen his younger brother. Those guys are half brothers. This is his full brother. He hasn't seen him for 22 years. Doesn't know what's happened to them. And so he goes and weeps and he's just thankful he's alive. God is, is, is doing everything he promised even though there's been all these ups and downs. And he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he says, serve the food. And they served him by himself 
and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that's an abomination. So you've got three little tables. It's like Thanksgiving dinner. There's the kitty room and then there's the parent room and then there's this room, right? And so Joseph's eating by himself and you got the, the, his brothers over there and then the Egyptians over there because they won't eat with Egyptians, I mean Hebrews, because they think they're nasty. They think they're gross. And so they sit before them, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. He, he, this is what's going on. He arranges the brothers. He goes, you sit there, you sit there, you sit there. And it's in order. It, it's, oh, there's Reuben, there's Simeon, there's Levi. And down the table, they are set in exact order of age. And they are freaking out because they're like, how does he know this? And one of the commentators must have been a math guy. Apparently there's 39 million different arrangements that could take place with these 11 brothers. And he gets it exactly right. And they're thinking Twilight Zone is going on here. How does this strange man who kind of looks Egyptian, not who, who cries a lot, who's always asking about our dad, how does he know our ages? But they, they don't, kind of put two and two together yet. So they start eating. They're eating from his table, which means they're getting the best lobster. They're getting the best wine. They're getting the best filet mignon. And, and they're, just, they're just eating like the golden corral, but like without COVID, all right? So they're, 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 they're chowing down and this is where the test comes in, right? They're vulnerable. They're kind of letting their guard down. And this is where Joseph in his brilliance is gonna put them to the test. Notice what it says at the end. Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, right? They get, he's, they're just pouring it on old Benji sitting down there at the end of the table, right? See the brilliance of what Joseph is doing here, right? He is presenting the brothers with the same exact temptation that they had before, right? It's just a repeat, it's deja vu. It's exactly what happened before, It's given the brothers an opportunity to look down and say, what makes him so special? I mean, this is his first trip. We've been down here. We've been in jail. This is his first trip. Look at how they're treating him. It's like we we get away from dad. Dad shows him all this favor. We're 300 miles away. He's still the favorite. What is with this kid? Right? He's done nothing. Everyone treats him better. Maybe we should get rid of him too. That's what he's presenting the opportunity to do. What Joseph is doing is checking to see, is there a new normal in his brothers? Or is there a change? Are they still envious? Are they still jealous that he's the favorite? He's trying to see what's in their hearts. Because what, here's the thing, favoritism, as bad as it is, and then we've talked about this, uh, giving Benjamin five times the amount of food, that's not the ultimate issue. That doesn't, can't make someone jealous. What giving Benjamin five times the amount of food does is it reveals if there is jealousy in their hearts. Can't make them be jealous. It reveals what is already there. Circumstances just bring to the surface what is there. So Joseph is trying to assess, is there still jealousy in their hearts? Because if they react negatively, if they look down like little buffet Benjamin down there chowing down on lobster, if they look down, if there is there animosity, if there seems to be a, a smidge of bitterness, then he knows they're still jealous. But if they do nothing, then there's a new normal. So how do they respond? Look at the second half of the verse. They drank and were merry with him. They are having a ball. 
There's, they have not missed a beat. Like, hey, you got any Pinot over there, Joe? Can you bring another bottle of the good stuff? Hey, they're just having a blast. They, they, they don't even notice, right? They're being merry, right? It's a, it's a festival. There's a joyful occasion, right? They don't care that Benjamin is eating banana pudding and lobster and got a double portion of this and that, right? There's a new normal, at least in this situation. It's huge. There's no more jealousy in their heart. There's no more anger and animosity. But Joseph needs to be sure. So he's gonna put one more test on them, right? And this is chapter 44. He commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of the sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest. Not just anybody, the little guy at the end. I want you to put it in his with the money and grain. And so he does as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. And Joseph said to the steward, now get up and follow after them. And when you overtake them, say this. Okay, he gives them a script. He says, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? Why did you steal my, my master's magic cup? Is basically what he's saying. That's his special cup. He drinks his coffee. He drinks everything out of that. It's magic. You've done evil in this. And when he overtook them, he spoke them to them these words. And they said, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money we found in the, in the mouth of the sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your house? We're honest men. Didn't we prove? We brought the money back. We brought double. We bought nuts. We bought lotion. We're honest. We would never do such a thing. In fact, we're so sure whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. You can kill them. If someone has this cup, you can kill them. And the rest of us will be servants. He said, okay, let us be as you say. He was found with it. He's gonna be my servant. The rest of you, you should be innocent. We don't need to keep you all, just the, just the guilty one. And so then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground. Each man opened his sack. This is where it would go to commercial, right? You're like, oh, which one is there in there? And they works his way from the oldest. I mean, it's very, it's very specific. They go from the oldest all the way down. Nope, not in Reuben's, not in Simeon's. Not in Levi's, not in Judah's, not in Issachar's, not in Gad's, not in Naphtali, not all the way down until there's one left. And you know, everyone's breathing a sigh of relief. See, we know we're honest, right? And then each man lowered his sack to the ground, each man opened his sack, and he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they are shocked, and they tear their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. They cannot believe it. What, what is happening here? And so Joseph is waiting for them. And Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He's still there. They fell before him on the ground. Joseph said, what is this deed you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? I know magic. You think you can fool me? And Judah said, what shall we speak to my Lord? What shall we say? How, how can we proclaim our innocence? How can you know that we haven't done this? How can we clear ourselves? And the answer is they can't because it's a setup. Right? They've been framed. But notice what he says next. This is key. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we're my Lord's servants, both we and he also who had the cup. What guilt is he referring to? Not the, not the cup, because they didn't steal the cup. What's he talking about? He's talking about what they did 22 years early to Joseph. 
He said, God is punishing us. Sir, you don't know, our family is jacked up. I don't even know how to go into the details, but we are jacked up. We've done some stuff and we're guilty. And this is God punishing us for being guilty. That's what this is. So we'll be your servants. Now, is God punishing them? No, God is not punishing them. Is he exposing them? Yes, does it feel very similar? Maybe in the moment, but God's goal is to bring them back to life. God's goal is to restore them. In the moment, it feels like they're being punished. But either way, he says, we will be your servants. And Joseph says, no, no, we don't do that here. Verse 17, he says, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand, whose cup was found should be my servant. As for you, go to your father in peace. We don't, we don't punish the innocent here. So we will just take the, the guilty party, right? We will take the one who did this and the rest of you are free. And what he's doing again, here's test number two. He is doing again the exact same thing. He's giving them an opportunity to do the same thing that he did before, they did to Joseph to cut one loose, to save your skin and get rid of him. And he's, he's making it actually easier than it was for, for them with Joseph. He's saying, look, y'all don't need to ruin your life for him. I just want the little criminal. I can tell, I look at him. He looks like he's, he's trouble. Y'all need to cut him loose. You don't need to, your life doesn't need to be ruined by that one, Right? You, you just need to be done with him. Let him stay here. All your troubles will be gone. Same exact temptation that they had with Joseph, right? There's, he's testing to see if, if they are willing to throw him away and cut him loose or if there's a new normal and they're gonna be loyal to their daddy and they're gonna love their brother, right? And it's so, it would be so easy to say, you know what? Judah, this guy's right. He's pretty smart. I mean, there's really only two options here. One, he stole the cup. He's guilty, and if he did, well, that's on him. That was dumb, and he should pay for it. Why should we pay for his stuff? If we go back and say, Dad, Benjamin, he stole the dude's cup. If you would have raised him better, wouldn't have spoiled him so much. Maybe he wouldn't have stole the cup, but he did, so that's why. We can't do anything about it. That's one option. The other option is, hey, maybe God put the cup in there, and if that's so, then maybe, what are we gonna do? Are we gonna fight against God? Maybe God wants him to stay in Egypt. Either way, why should our lives be ruined by him? Let's cut him loose, right? We don't need to die for this kid. And jo Joseph is making it so easy to see if there's a new normal in the lives of his brothers or if it's the same old, same old. So what happens? Verse 18, Judah went to him and said, oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears. Let not your anger burn against your servant for you are like Pharaoh himself. He says, Judah's, Judah's gonna, for about 12 verses, I'm gonna summarize what he says. He's gonna say, just listen to me, sir. Just please listen to me. And here's the summary. He unpacks where they've been. You asked when we first showed up, do we have a dad and a brother? We said yes. And we told you that this, this younger brother, his, his older brother was killed, and this is the only son that our father has from his favorite wife who is now dead, and, and he's there, he's special to him, and we told you that, and then you took our one brother and said, we can't, you won't let him go until we bring this one back, and we told you our dad's not gonna let that happen, so we went back, and sure enough, dad said, no way, I'm not taking, letting you take back Benjamin, but then we ran out of food, and we told dad, dad, we can't go back without Benjamin, and so he, he told us, he said, if this kid doesn't come back, I'm gonna die. And so we knew that and we promised that we would bring him back and here we are when we bring Benjamin and here he is. If we go back and don't have Benjamin with us, it's going to kill our daddy. It is going to break his heart and I can't have that because I love my dad and I love my brother. And so he jumps in in verse 32. 
He says, also, I became a pledge for the safety for the boy to my father. Saying, if I don't bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. He says, here's what he's offering. He says, let me take his place. I will take his guilt. I will be his substitute. I will in essence be a living sacrifice for my brother Benjamin. Sounds a lot like someone else who would come from the tribe of Judah 2,000 years later, right? Who would be a substitute, who would take guilt, who would be in someone else's place. But this is a remarkable this is, it's, it's just remarkable, the change in the sense. Remember, this is the same guy that came up with the idea, let's sell him. Let's get rid of him, let's sell him. That was Judah. This is the same guy in chapter 38 who made a mess of his family with his daughter-in-law and there was a whole, I mean, this is, not, this is a guy who was a remarkably different man. Something has dramatically changed in this guy. So he is at a place now where he would say, is saying, I would rather die here, never see my family again, never experience the comfort, and he's a, he's a rich guy, never have the comfort and the life of luxury that I had back there, never see my family, I would rather die doing what is right than go free. That's where he is at now. It's, it's, a, it's a remarkable change in this man, right? There is, he is epitomizing the fact that there is a new normal in him in his brother's lives. And we'll see what happens next. This overwhelms Joseph and he's done. He's gonna reveal himself and we'll unpack that next week in chapter 45. But what's the point? What's, why does Joseph put them all through the, all this rigmarole and months and, and time and tests? Right, remember chapter 42, he puts them through situations to, to, so that God would soften their heart and they would start to own their own deal. And then he tests to see, okay, now that you've owned your own deal, is that jealousy still there? And in chapter 43, now that you've owned your own deal and I know there's no jealousy, do you have love? Do you love someone else other than yourselves? Which Judah epitomizes just like the New Testament says it, there's no greater love than someone who lays down his life for his brother. So what is Joseph looking for? What is the new normal he is looking for? What is he testing for? It's real simple. He's testing to see if there is true repentance in his brothers. That's the new normal for them. And ultimately, it is, it's what God wants for us. It's not just that God wants to be walk around feeling sorry, well, I am such a bad person, what was me? That's not Christianity. It's walking around with our head down, we're so bad, oh, we're so bad. That, maybe that's the start, conviction may be the start. But the goal is not for us to hang our heads and just consider, oh, how bad we were. It's to, not, it's to start there and then to move into a new direction. But there's a change. So if I show up on Tuesday morning and I just start yelling at the staff and you stink and blah, 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 and just harsh and mean and critical and I feel guilty about it and I come back on Wednesday morning and say, guys, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have yelled at you. But then that afternoon, another opportunity and I just light into somebody again and yell at them again and again and Thursday morning, oh, I'm so sorry. Right, please forgive me. And then Friday, I do the same exact thing and then Saturday and Sunday, it's great that I feel sorry, but that's not true repentance. That's not walking in a new direction. 
because I'm going back and doing the same exact thing over and over. If you have problems with looking for things on your phone or on your computer, or every time you go on a business trip, you end up in a bad situation and you feel guilty and you feel shame and you feel sorry, but, but then the next time that, that opportunity presents itself, you run right back into it. It's not the new normal God is looking for. And it's not that we're never going to fail. That's not the point. But what the idea of repentance is that I agree with what God has said and now I'm moving in a new direction. So there's a change, right? There's a change. That's the new normal, that there is what the New Testament would call, we would call sanctification or life change, right? There's a newness. This is what, this is what we're called to, that we were buried with Christ with baptism and his death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, that we walk in what? Newness of life. That's the goal, it's to walk in newness of life. Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he is, in, first, in the first letter, he, he slams them. He corrects them. He, he basically does what Joseph does to his brothers. He exposes the areas of weakness that they need to, to kind of to turn from. He says, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, because it grieved them when they read all this stuff, but because you were grieved into repenting. You felt godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And it's just, oh, woe is me. We're not to be woe is me people walking around with our head down. Whoa, we're such a bad people. Oh, we can't ever do anything right. No, the goal of God kind of exposing and bringing us bringing to, to light our sin is so that we turn and we walk in newness of life and there's joy. That's why he says, I rejoice. I rejoice because in the first chapter, first letter to Corinthians, he says, will you guys stop suing each other? Every time somebody does something, they call Mike Hostelo and they're suing him. And, 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 and so what happened is they stopped calling him. He explains, here's what love really looks like. You guys aren't loving each other. This is what love looks like. And in the second letter, he's like, you did it. You responded. You're, not, you're loving each other now. This is good. I rejoice in that. There's been a change. I caught out your arrogance in 1 Corinthians. You're not arrogant anymore. Before you were so divisive. You're like, I like Paul's preaching. I like Apollos' preaching. I like Peter's preaching. You're all divide, divided and all this stuff. And you, and you repented of that. And you turn and now you're, you're, you're listening to everybody and you're unified. That's the goal, that there's change. Not perfection. You're gonna fall. We're all gonna fall. But the idea is when God, the Holy Spirit says, this is an area I want you to think about. And he's putting that finger on there. That you agree, there's confession, and then you start seeing little wins. They may be little wins at first. The next time that opportunity to lie comes, you tell the truth. Now you may slip up a week later, but you've seen a, you've seen a battle, you've seen a, a win. The next time uh, you have an opportunity to slander or gossip, it, and you keep your mouth shut. The next time you have an opportunity to get into that website, you close the computer. Like you, I used to do it a date this way, now I'm not. I used to handle my money this way, I'm not. And there's a, there's a turn. There's a new normal. I used to run to that functional savior every time I was depressed, every time I was sad. Now I don't, all right? There's a new normal. That, that's what God is calling these brothers to. That's what God is calling us to, right? Because he has lavished us with his grace. After all he's done for us, he wants that to become a reality in our lives, right? Not perfection, but just that God's love for us is motivation enough, right? That's the motivation I need. God was patient with me, so I'm patient. God was kind to me, so I'm kind. God gave his life, laid down his life for me, so I get the opportunity to lay down my life. Millions of ways, every, different, every day. Millions of ways to lay down your life for other people, right? And it's not to pay him back. Judah is not 
canceling out bad things by doing a good thing. It's not, well, I did a bad thing, so now I have to do a good thing because now I have to kind of get back in the scales. That's not what's going on here. He's not making up for a bad thing. It's that God has done a work in his heart and then when he is exposed again, what is there now reveals itself. He's new. There's something that's gone on. He's walking in newness of life. He is bearing fruit and keeping with repentance, as John the Baptist would say. That is the new normal. He's growing. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to grow. He's not expecting perfection, but he wants us to grow. He wants us to turn. He wants us to follow. Here's what Ephesians says, and we'll close with this. That we are God's workmanship, his workmanship, Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. That's, that's newness of life, right? If any man is in Christ, he is what? New. See, following Jesus is not a bunch of rules. Don't, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts. That's not what it is. It's he created you. He's got a, just like Joseph's brothers, God has a plan for Joseph's brothers and he wants them to walk in it. He's got to get them there and he does. And he has plans for every single one of us. Plans to prosper, plans for good. Plans to, to impact and leave a mark and to love others and, and to make a difference for his name's sake. And he says, I've, I've created you for this. I've wired you for this. I've gifted you for this. I've specifically put you at that job, that neighborhood, that school, that. I just want you to walk in them, not, not keep a bunch of rules. The rules are not his, his point because you can keep the rules and your heart can be far from him. He wants your heart. He wants Judah's heart. He wants Gad and Dan and Issachar and Naphtali, he wants their hearts and he's finally got them, right? And so here's what, here's what I would ask is we kind of move to sing in just a few moments and then we go outside hopefully um, and, and enjoy our week. Just ask God the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you, every one of us. And, and that person over there doesn't have more Holy Spirit than him. And that person over there doesn't have more Holy Spirit than her. We all equally have the same Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity inside of us forever. And so I, would you be willing to say, God, where do I need a new normal? What is that area in my heart that, that you wanna do a work in? What's that, that area right now that you wanna shape me? Right? Because I want you to have my heart not just my actions, not my Sunday morning watching church on TV. He wants your heart and be willing to respond. So when that, that next opportunity to do X comes up because he has your heart and that's enough motivation, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna follow him in this. See, that's what being the church is. It's not going to church. It's not giving money. It's not doing nice things. It's, it's God has our heart. We love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then because we do, that's motivation enough for there to be a new normal, to walk in the light as he himself is in the light. That's, that's the new normal for these brothers, and that's the new normal that God wants for us. Let me pray, uh, and we'll sing a song or two, and then we will go and hopefully be the church in Savannah, leave the mark of Christ wherever we go. Father, I, I thank you for the story of Joseph and how you were shaping patiently these men for 22 years and you're so gracious to them and you're so gracious to us. Um, thank you that though there was an up and down road for them, uh, 
that you restored them and there is uh, grace that's freely given. And for us, uh, I just pray that our people would know the grace that you offer and that would be motivation enough to follow you and to love you and serve you. Um, that we would, we, we're not perfect and we never will be, not until you come back, but that we would be striving to follow you. And when you lead us, that we would follow. When you guide us, that we will listen. Uh, and that we'll truly just love you. And that will be motivation for us to follow you. Pray these things in the name of our Savior. Amen.